Welcome to Priority Status. Today we talk to the sustainable luxury travel expert and the sustainability editor of Condé Nast Traveller, Juliet Kingsman, on how COVID is affecting the hospitality world as we know it and what lies ahead for ethical and responsible travel. Juliet has been an authority in the travel world for over two decades as a renowned hotel expert. She's the former editor-in-chief of the boutique hotel guide, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and went on to found Buteco, a platform that helps design lovers find the best eco-conscious design-led hotels. Juliet also just released a fantastic book called The Green Edit, Easy Tips for the Eco-Friendly Traveller and a Simple Guide to Demystifying Sustainable Travel to help us all make better choices. So today we discuss sustainability in all its glory and travel in the time of COVID. Juliet, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule today. You're incredibly in demand. You know, I'm constantly seeing you as a key speaker on podcasts and webinars. And we're absolutely thrilled that you could be on priority status with us. So thrilled to get your insight into the future of sustainable travel, past, present and future. And yeah, we'll fire away. So thank you so much to start off with just for being here. Thank you so much. Actually, I'm excited particularly to chat to you because I know that you will have Lots of people in America listening. It's nice to chat to different people, share our different perspectives. Completely. So why don't we kick off with a rather sort of broad question, but very, very important. In a nutshell, and hopefully most people will know roughly what sustainability is, but sustainable tourism. Obviously, you know, very trendy word, very much a buzzword, but it's just so much more than that. It's part of a, a new era. If you had to summarise it, how would you describe sustainable tourism as it stands today? So it's so interesting because we look at language and what things actually mean and definitions. Then we also have to look at trends and buzzwords and how things sort of morph to mean different things. And I think what's most helpful, let's look at the sort of official definition of sustainability. So that was Harlan Brundtland, 1987. He said, it's development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. Okay, so that's kind of, that's a bit stiff. And we're talking about sustainable travel. Now, if you had asked someone, well, certainly me five years ago, I identified, you know, my background, as you may know, is, was Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So I was the founding editor. We were looking out for those very special, romantic, stylish, sexy boutique hotels. What I identified was that no one was really celebrating very specifically the sustainable design-led hotels. So what did I mean then? Well, I think for a lot of people, sustainability at that point meant something actually that cost more because it was so special and they invested so much in having a positive impact that actually, from the consumer point of view, it might end up costing more. Now, I obviously have just uh, published a book which is about green travel. And obviously, everyone knows the words eco-friendly as a term. So what do they all mean? You know what? I'm going to just put those all aside and say, I think what we're going to talk about and look at is positive impact. So travel that is actively having a positive impact, whether that's socially, economically, or environmentally. What I really like to talk about is having a positive impact and not just sustainability. Sustainability suggests, uh, let's keep going how we're doing things now. (laughs) But I want to help shape and inspire a new way of being. And I think this year has forced us to do that. Sorry, very long answer. No, that's brilliant. (laughs) And actually, that kind of leads perfectly on on to the next sort of question, which is, you know, how have the last few months been for you, someone that specialises in sustainability and, you know, using travel as a force for good and, and not being able to travel, I suppose, in the sort of classic form? You know, I heard a few months ago that you hadn't yet 
flown in 2020. I know you've got a trip coming up to Greece, but I suppose in some ways there have been winners and losers during COVID for sustainability. Things like, you know, carbon footprint reducing. In your book, you mentioned about how COVID has shown just how quickly nature can recover if given the chance. So looking at, at that way, how's it been the last few months from a sustainable standpoint? Am I correct in saying there's winners and losers or is it just lose-lose? Oh my goodness, definitely. I mean, look at nature. Let's look at how nature works. I always think if we, if we look at economics or what we've, what's become familiar to us in terms of capitalism, we look at profit and loss. Within nature, there's going to be profits and losses. So it, let's look at this time, this year, as ups and downs, profits and losses. I think without a doubt, we know there have been many devastating disadvantages and losses for people, certainly those who work in tourism. But I'm not going to lie, that has meant lots of profit, let's say, for nature, mm-hmm. being given a time to recuperate and regenerate. Me personally, I'm just somebody who's always tried to look at the silver linings of clouds, which sounds very trite, but your attitude is going to have such a huge influence on how you feel. So rather than lamenting the fact that I can't travel around, I did feel quite happy to slow down, really happy to slow down and think about my own personal carbon footprint as dropping significantly because, of course, flying is our greatest contribution to carbon emissions. Always it will be. So, you know, that was great. No jet lag, living life more slowly, more mindfully, all of these terms which are fast becoming platitudes and cliches more consciously. But, you know, I was able to sort of walk my talk much better during this time. Whilst at the same time, you know, obviously it's really, really sad when we know that one in 10 people is employed globally in tourism. To think of all those people, I think the statistic is possibly 100 million people will have lost their jobs in hospitality by the end of 2020. One in five creatives will have lost their jobs. I mean, these are all devastating statistics. So those are losses. But it's just a shift. You know, what are they losing? Me personally, what have I lost? Yes, I lost a lot of work. I lost a lot of work by the end of March. But, you know, I wasn't as active. I wasn't spending as much. So I used that time. You know, you just react. You adapt to the situation. Absolutely. And one of the slogans in your book, you mentioned about stop, think, discuss when it comes to flying. So I suppose... In this current time, with regards to flying, it's, would you say it's still applicable in some ways? Stop, Think, Discuss was indeed an expression I came up with to launch my consultancy, Boutico, five years ago. And actually, we published a report called that. I think it really sums up what our, our way of processing sustainability should be. Stop and look at each and every situation, mm-hmm. think about it, and discuss it. Because... There's not one quick fix for anything. There's not one blanket rule. And I think that's, we've become a bit lazy. We always want these silver bullets. But every single thing is nuanced, whether you're talking about politics, economics, nature, conservation, everything is nuanced. And we have to look at that particular situation in the context of geography, so much. So, yeah, I would just encourage more discussion. You know, the world has become so polarized. I mean, we all know that, in particularly in politics. And actually, if you've got all those people who, in theory, are opposing one another, to sit down, sort of swivel around, look at the world through the other person's perspective, we might have much more reasonable conversations. And we might come up with much more logical solutions. Absolutely. Uh, and this ties into you know, your business, Buteco. Am I pronouncing that correctly? It's so funny. Everyone always asks me, pronounce it how you like. It's a portmanteau of Buteco and how we say is ego. 
So sorry, okay. boutique, boutique hotels and eco. So I just, you know, smush them together to make boutique. That's a great name. That's a great name. With boutique, obviously the approach there is to helping hotels become more sustainable. And I think one of the challenges that we've had as an international PR agency has been you know, how to get our particularly urban, you know, using London as an example, city centre hotels being sustainable. From the outside, it does seem like it's more of a challenge for an urban product to be sustainable. But is that just a myth? Is that people just not trying hard enough? I mean, what would be one of the the sort of tips that you would give to urban properties as a first step to get on the sustainable ladder? So, yes, it can be paralyzing to a lot of people. They don't want to dare declare anything around sustainability if they're not 100% eco, whatever that means. So let's look at it according to what I said earlier. Let's just look at positive impact. Let's think about a city hotel versus a hotel that's in the countryside. If you want to get closer to replicating a natural system, being better connected to nature, yes, of course, it's harder in, a, in an urban environment. But if you think of uh, sustainability as actually just being more efficient. So look at it through that lens. A city hotel that naturally sort of looks at its energy consumption, looks at its waste, all those aspects, conventionally were not very sexy to talk about, but are becoming much, much more interesting, I think. If you just look at that that hotel, that business running more efficiently and producing less waste or being more mindful about what happens to that waste, getting closer to what nature would call a closed loop, a circular economy. Well, that's an amazing thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you know, I think a really good guide for a city hotel is to look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, of which there are 17, but you can't do all of those. So choose maybe three that are really close to your heart and aligned to your business, whatever it means in terms of diversity, you know, social aspect of it in terms of maybe you care about the water consumption and looking at that, be true to those ones. That's a big win. Now, if you really just want to get closer to nature and you know you want to think about sustainability in the green sense, hotels love to have a living wall and have, bring the nature from the outside inside to their hotels. That's a great thing to do. I just think there's a bit of a danger with that of it's sort of superficial you know, hey, look, we've simulated nature, so we must be in tune with it. Actually, you know, it's, it's the unsexy stuff like anaerobic digester systems in the kitchen, which converts solid matter into liquid, which for many reasons is a good thing to do because it reduces your waste, those kind of things. And I would also say have a dedicated expert member of the team for sustainability, not just lots of people have green teams, so people who are enthusiasts, but you know, mm-hmm. I could be an astrophysics enthusiast. I mean, I really, <laughs> I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't dare try and bring that into my professional life, you know. Absolutely. And I think one of the things with the green edit, your book that I really sort of sunk in was that, you know, being woke is not enough. We all need to be better at walking our talk. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about being sustainable versus actually doing it. And how do you distinguish between tokenism and real activism, to use your own words, to make sure you're not you know, seduced by these kind of false green sheens? And I thought that really resonated with me. And do you think there is, because it is harder for these bigger international chain hotels, is there anyone that is authentically being, you know, managing to pull it off for a group, say? Because the, the smaller boutiques, the independents, you know, for the infrastructure, it's more plausible. It is just easier to roll out, generally speaking. Do you feel like there is a brand doing it well and, and not just, you know, fake it to make it sort of thing? Well, I mean, it's really simple. Are you a good business? 
Are you a kind business? Is your supply chain honorable? Do you look after the people and suppliers along the way? Do you pay people properly? That makes a good business. And that will be some chains. You know, I mean, Hilton has done a lot along the way in terms of one of the first to really talk loudly around the Modern Slavery Act. And that's a huge part of being more sustainable. Are there actual hotels, each one? I'm not judging them on the individual products, but the actual philosophy and the ethos at the top of that is great. I know that Keith Barr, um, CEO of IHG, was telling me how they're going to have a lot more focus on having science-based measurement of their operations and open sourcing it between hotel groups. So I don't know how they've advanced with that. But, you know, any hotel group that's really looking at their utility consumption, really trying to improve that year on year, because it has to be measurable. And say, we're bringing down our um, energy use, We uh, again, the, the water use, all of these things. And they're transparent about that. That's epic. That's amazing. You know, that's... And what they can achieve as a... As a chain hotel and as a group across the portfolio compared with a very well-intentioned small boutique hotel is incomparable. So I think that's what we want is all businesses to run just with a view to, you know, the triple bottom line, trying to, sure, you know, they're a business, they want to maximize profit, but also just think about how they're affecting planet and people, the triple bottom line. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the other themes that I really enjoyed from the Green Edit is how you went about convincing hotels and brands and companies and doing it in a very gentle way, not through shaming tactics. In your everyday life, you mentioned about going to a restaurant in Spain and correcting them about the Fiji water and giving them advice, but doing it in a very, very nice way that sort of really didn't feel like they were being told off. And the next time you went back there, the water was no longer you know, served and they'd come up with a local solution. What are the things that people can do, just the small changes, particularly now, I suppose, more challenging during COVID, to make small steps in the green world? So that's great. I actually have to confess, I'm not sure that Nobu and Marbella would say I did it that gently. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was, I don't know if I obviously wouldn't have name checked them in the book, but actually they were brilliant. I just said, look, I really can't have imported Fiji water in a plastic bottle. This is not, for me, that's not luxury. And you're much classier than that as a brand. You can do better than that. What's wrong with uh, Spanish mineral water. And I was so proud and thrilled with them that, you know, I can't remember a couple months later, they said, we took what you said on board. You know, often you have head offices that want, obviously they want to roll out, they want continuity in their standards. So, you know, Fiji water in theory as, as the actual mineral water itself, they want to make sure that all their restaurants are serving the best that they can and think about their customers. But what they had to be open to was we just have to look at procurement in situations like that let's still keep those standards high but shopping local thinking local and avoiding all those food miles and air miles around F&B which I think with the slow food movement I mean presumably because of COVID and being able to have delays with imports and things like that do you think the slow food movement is having a a natural kind of boost because people can't get their hands on things as easily as they could have done because of these kind of delays because of COVID or that's an economic consideration. So the slow food movement, in theory, it's, it's a wonderful movement, obviously, where it was born in, in northern Italy. It was all about just using local suppliers and getting food and drink that was as close as, to you as possible and, and you know, honouring those ingredients without fuss. I would say, are we following that better now? I mean, some of us are. But let's look at the reality. A lot of people have less money than ever to spend on food. And that's why mass 
industrialized agriculture exists is to produce as much food as possible as cheaply as possible. So it's all very well and idealistic for me to say, oh, everyone should be living like that. They might not be able to afford it. That becomes a bigger question of who should and could be changing the system. Well, it's, yes, what you talked about just now about me complaining about the imported water, that's pester power. That's the power of us as customers and the consumers. Then you've got the sort of responsibility of the suppliers, either it's manufacturers or the service providers, the ones in the middle. Really, then we need to look at governance and then we need to look at legislation. So those at the top, it's a real shame because a democracy in its true sense shouldn't mean we even have lobbyists, right? But we do. So we have to look at why businesses do what they do. Is it for the interest of shareholders or stakeholders? Now, I think it's really important to celebrate the paradigm shift that happened, certainly in America, last year when the, um, the Business Roundtable, I think they're called, which is a collection of all the CEOs of the top companies uh, in America, got together and they agreed that perhaps instead of always prioritizing shareholders, they should always also be considering stakeholders in all the decision-making. Now, I'm someone who, who, you know, in the UK, your obligation as a business is to look after the interests of your shareholders. That's your legal obligation. So I think what we all we need to do is think about, it's such a sort of huge topic. What I'm saying is we need capitalism in many ways is to blame for our departure from nature, but also it could be the solution. And it's the greatest way of being more sustainable. So we just have to look at how businesses are run. The back end of things, as you said. The back end of things. And just look at what profit means. Profit Mm. for whom? That's what we have to look at. Is that profit just the bottom line for a business for its shareholders? Or is it really, is it we need to profit people and place for now and the future? Not just because I'm being, oh, that would be nice. Let's all be kind. But because the planet will not exist in a sustainable way if we don't look after it. That's the discussion. It's just, it's reassessing business. And also people who are listening, if they think, oh, my customers don't care about sustainability, we don't care about it. Well, they will, they will more and more. And you need to future-proof your business. Absolutely. Talking about America, you've had a really interesting childhood. So born in Canada, moved to Algeria, then moved to New York's Upper East Side in the 70s. And I've heard you say in the past about how how New York really shaped who you are now today and you still you know taken so much away from it so living in new york and london what is the difference that you've noticed between sustainability efforts in each city and you can open this up wider it doesn't just have to be to new york but you know what are the things that you've taken away from living on both sides of the pond well let's maybe make the distinction between a european mindset and an american mindset i grew up in new york that's certainly spending my formative years there made me, I don't know, a bit of a maximalist. I want to get the most out of life. It made me believe anything is possible if you put heart and soul and mm-hmm. energy into it. But it also meant that there's this voracious appetite for anything you want, whenever you want as a consumer. It's the ultimate sort of consumer existence. City of convenience. Uh, you can just, yeah. as you say, you can get food at four o'clock in the morning or laundry picked up, you name it. It's just add a button. That's New York City. Let's, I mean, I can't really generalize about America, but let's think about, from my own perspective, and some people will di- agree with this, some people won't, they'd have had different life experiences. Or, but I did notice, and we do notice, you know, even when we watched American TV shows, 
there's a big emphasis on stuff and buying stuff and stuff making us happy and how much money we're earning defining who we are. Let's look at Europe. Let's look at Holland or Scandinavia. They're much more egalitarian societies where there's a bigger emphasis on, I would say on community actually. And, you know, if you just look at the way most Dutch people live, it's just much more efficient. They don't, are they frugal? I don't know. Are they as materialistic? I don't think they are. I would say Scandinavians is more of an emphasis on quality of possessions rather than quantity. So I'm not here to shame anyone, but it's just an interesting observation. And I will say when I have conversations with Americans, not all Americans, but the mainstream, they just are not as far down the line about thinking about sustainability. It's just the way it is. You know, if you look at businesses in the UK and how many of them look at their ESG, their uh, environmental social governance, compared to American businesses, it's incomparable. American businesses do not consider that in terms of where they want to invest. You know, and like I say, it's not, I'm not, I'm not shaming anyone. I just think, you know, all of these expressions, we're in this together. We are in this together as human beings. Let's try and just find a different way of doing business sometimes, a thoughtful way that has more of a positive impact. That's all. Okay, really interesting. Have you um, any plans when, you know, corridors hopefully open up again between New York and London? Have you been to New York recently? I haven't. My sister is uh, county executive of Nassau County in Long Island. And I'm so proud of her and what she's doing there. And I watch her. I mean, she's just staying calm. I mean, we use that expression in hospitality of being a swan, you know, gliding along, but madly working behind the surface. That seems like her. I'm desperate to get to New York. I have family there. These two corridors, they've been talking about them, haven't they? But I've not heard any more. Yeah, it's kind of gone silent again. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. There was some some talk of it a couple of weeks ago, and then I've been keeping my eyes peeled. But yeah, it doesn't seem to have made much progress. But I know a lot of people, you know, can't wait for it to come soon enough. So I have not flown in 2020. That's pretty impressive, I hope, you know. So a lot of people, when you talk to people in America about traveling and going on holiday, they would say that's unethical and maybe irresponsible, which is an interesting perspective. But I am allowed to. I think as people who work in the travel industry, A, it's supporting our comrades. Exactly. Um, That's what I was just about to say, Julia. And in your book, The Green Edit, you mentioned about under-tourism and how, you know, we can do our part. And during this period of COVID, all these places that would normally be booming from the support of tourism and very much propped up by it. Uh, to use an example, we've got six hotels in Santorini called the Andronic Exclusive Collection. And this summer, they were only able to open two out of their six properties. And those were doing really well. But then, of course, with all the scaremongering about would Santorini go on the on the list and then it, eventually it did by which point you know it was only on there for a couple of weeks I think and then by the time it came off the hotels had lost all their bookings and had to shut early for the season so it's it's been a really tough time hasn't it so under tourism now do you think it's even taken on a new meaning with you know post-covid eventually it'll it'll be these places that were once booming and now we have to get back to supporting them yeah I've just written an article for Conan Nast Travel U.S on uh, over tourism the concept of that it's about balance and flow isn't it and as we know everything's slowed down I think that you know yes we can go back to Venice and Barcelona and not feel guilty and enjoy those unfettered by loads of other tourists we'll be able to do that but I still think it's more about thinking about balance and wealth distribution and thinking I'm coming from a country or a destination that has money 
where can I go where that money will be really fantastically helpful and stay in that destination? I think, you know, the real focus, I don't like to talk about things as trends because I hope it's a shift towards a mindset that will stay with us, but better communitarianism, basically. Excellent. One of our last questions. There's so many interesting brands out there that are doing amazing things with recycling and converting waste into whether it's, you know, art or fashion, interiors, furniture. Do you have any brands that you particularly love? And not actually just brands, but I'd also be interested to know about like sustainability apps, if such a thing exists. So I suppose there's two questions in there. First is the kind of recycling, converting into waste question, brands along you know, other sustainable fashion, interiors and art, and then the other one on the app front. So I'm really excited by all these different brands that are thinking differently and making, you know, converting waste into wealth, which is the foundation of sustainability. I think that we can't get too distracted by the sort of sexing up of using the the symptoms of bad living. So it's great to capture ocean plastics, but I think we all need to understand how to reduce the ocean plastics in the first place. A really interesting band that I always loved, I loved their shop on the Lurie side in New York, Tom's, of course. I was totally drinking the Kool-Aid right from the beginning with them. I was like, wow, I can buy a pair of shoes. And, you know, every time I, I, I get my cute shoes somebody in need is going to get a pair but the reality was they were just mass producing really cheap shoes not in that local community either shipping it in giving it away to the poor people to make us you know feel we bought this lovely virtue signaling product and it was guilt-free actually I think from what I understand originally Tom's was set up by a venture capitalist very much as a for-profit business so I'm loving though that these sort of it sparked all these lovely little tiny independent brands who've got really strong missions. So for example, if you look at Solo Eyewear, I've got some sunglasses from them. And not only do they use great materials, which are sustainable, they are you know, helping people have eye exams, eyeglasses, cataract surgeries. Um, there's also Pala Eyewear, where in Africa they're helping people because they've got better eyesight work better, have, have jobs and make a contribution. And I just think it's, it's those little brands that are doing that bit more, which is more interesting. You've got Tidal New York. Do you know them? They, they got in touch with me recently about their biocarbon flip-flops. Yeah. So I love all these. Let's, let's salute these little brands, but let's really scrutinize their stories and make sure they really are doing something. And if they are, let's celebrate them. Great. Absolutely. Because as you say, it's all very easy sort of doing the walk, but you need to do the talk. Well, you do need to do both of them. But you do need to talk your walk, actually. We all talk about walking your talk. But a lot of these good guys are so busy doing the walk, they've forgotten how to do the talk. In my opinion, someone like Tom was all about the talk. (laughs) You know, so we need to be, inform ourselves better. It's fun. I find it really exciting, really trying to read between the lines and check out who who the true good guys are. You know, it's like when we look at food ingredients, taking an interest in that. It's almost a pastime in itself. I know it absolutely is. I mean, everyone wants to, you know, imagine their eggs with these chickens running around being happy. You know, I think food provenance is a, is a huge movement for the last few years. And there's a big guilt factor behind not knowing where your food comes. So yeah, you're absolutely spot on there. I do have to say provenance is the most important word we've used this whole conversation. And that's what everyone has to think about. And that's where the shift has to be in travel is the provenance of everything we buy, even in travel, the supply chain, where has this come from? Where is my money going? Fantastic. And what about sustainability apps? Do such a thing exist? 
Yes, I do. I've got one. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like the Butico Buteco conundrum. It's yucca or yucca, Y-U-K-A. Have you seen it? It's no, a great plant. Yeah, it's it's not specifically sustainability actually, but it you scan the barcode of beauty products or food products and it will tell you the nutritional content or the beauty products it will tell you all the harmful chemicals. It's that sort of analysis that we want to adapt in everything we do when it comes to sustainability. You know, what is the impact of this purchase of mine? What is the social impact is it is it helping people is it a B Corp business? What is the economic impact? How much of the, the money of this is staying in the local community where I'm, I'm buying something from? Or is it going off to some hideous offshore account? And the obvious one is the environmental impact. Absolutely. I mean, all of these things are just so important. And, and you know, one no more than the other. Juliet, thank you so much. You've spent a lot of time with Priority Status today and we couldn't be more grateful. Really excited to see what lies ahead for Boutico and the Green Edit Series 2. Will you be doing another book anytime soon? Oh, I don't know. I can't say that travel books are flying off the shelves at the moment, but I'm sure, you know, I would love to talk more. Obviously, I work with Conan Ust Traveller. That's my, my, where my heart and soul is in terms of sharing inspiring, hopeful and helpful messages. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, and it's been great to speak to you today. Thank you very much for having me. Not at all. Speak soon. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye.